Good morning. Blessed be the name of the Lord, and I trust we've gathered this morning to honor him. 
You might turn your Bibles to 1 Kings 12. Brother Clem has asked for the reading of the first 24 verses. We'll get to that in a minute. I'm going to leave him the time. I'm sure at least that all the adult classes were in the account in 1 Samuel of the battle with Goliath. And there's something that I've been thinking now for some time. If we really truly believed what the Lord has done and is doing and will do for us, it would take care of about 98% of our problems, maybe 100%, because there's totally victory in him. And the reason that we have struggles in life, it seems to me, and this is just some of my meditations I'm sharing this morning as an opening, is a lack of total belief in my Lord. There isn't any area of my life or your life, but what if we are in Jesus and we are totally committed to him, the end will be okay. Nothing. Lord, help me. Help me to grasp that much faith that I cannot be moved. And David is just one little example of that. One little boy with a sling and some stones went up against the Philistine tank army. Amazing. Let's read 1 Kings 12, verse 24 verses. And Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel were come to Shechem to make him king. And it came to pass when Jeroboam the son of Nebat, who was yet in Egypt, heard of it, for he was fled from the presence of King Solomon. And Jeroboam dwelt in Egypt, that they sent and called him, and Jeroboam and all the congregation of Israel came and spake unto Rehoboam, saying, Thy father made our yoke grievous. Now therefore make thou the grievous service of thy father and his heavy yoke, which he put upon us lighter, and we will serve thee. And he said unto them, Depart yet for three days, and then come again to me. And the people departed. And King Rehoboam consulted with the old men that stood before Solomon his father while he yet lived and said, How do you advise that I may answer this people? And they spake unto him, saying, If thou wilt be a servant unto this people this day, and wilt serve them and answer them and speak good words to them, then they will be thy servants forever. But he forsook the counsel of the old men which they had given him and consulted with the young men that were grown up with him and which stood before him. And he said unto them, What counsel give ye that we may answer this people who have spoken to me, saying, Make the yoke which thy father did put upon us lighter? And the young men that were grown up with him spake unto him, saying, Thus shalt thou speak unto this people that spake unto thee, saying, Thy father made our yoke heavy, but make thou it lighter unto us. 
Thus shalt thou say unto them, My little finger shall be thicker than my father's loins. And now, whereas my father did lay with you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father has chastised you with whips. I will chastise you with scorpions. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day, as the king had appointed, saying, Come to me again the third day. And the king answered the people roughly and forsook the old men's counsel that they gave him. And he spake to them after the counsel of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, and I will add to your yoke. My father also chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scorpions. Wherefore the king hearkened not unto the people, for the cause was from the Lord, that he might perform his saying, which the Lord spake unto Hijah, the Shalonite, unto Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. So when all Israel saw that the king hearkened not unto them, the people answered the king, saying, What portion have we in David? Neither have we inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel, now see to thine own house, David. So Israel departed unto their tents. But as for the children of Israel, which dwelt in the cities of Judah, Rehoboam reigned over them. Then King Rehoboam sent Adoram, who was over the tribute, and all Israel stoned him with stones that he died. Therefore King Rehoboam made speed to get him up to his chariot to flee to Jerusalem. So Israel rebelled against the house of David unto this day. And it came to pass when all Israel heard that Jeroboam was come again, that they sent and called him unto the congregation and made him king over all Israel. And there was none that followed the house of David, but the tribe of Judah only. And when Rehoboam was come to Jerusalem, he assembled all the house of Judah with the tribe of Benjamin, a hundred and fourscore thousand chosen men, which were warriors, to fight against the house of Israel, to bring the kingdom again to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. But the word of God came unto Shemaiah, the man of God, saying, Speak unto Rehoboam the son of Solomon, king of Judah, and unto all the house of Judah and Benjamin, and say to the remnant of the people, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Ye shall not go up, nor fight against your brethren, the children of Israel. Return every man to his house, for this thing is from me. They hearken therefore to the word of the Lord, and return to depart according to the word of the Lord. So I'm going to ask Vern to pray here in a little bit. What are your prayer requests this morning? I'll just start with one. Uh, Brother Cephas called me last night. Hannah has had a lifelong friend. Um, his name is Greg. I don't know him. But he's an unbeliever. And uh, he is gravely ill. He has three different cancers and some other major medical problems. And he's probably on his last days. And he called and asked Hannah and Cephas if he would come and talk to him about the Lord. And so they're in Pennsylvania, they're in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania right now. And they went to the hospital and they testified to him. And he received the Lord in his heart and confessed him. And Cephas and Hannah were going back today. He said, please share that with the congregation that they would pray for us as we pray with Greg. What are your prayer requests or your praise reports?
Yes. Keep uh, Kendra and Rachel and their family in prayers. They're, they took a trip to Florida this past week, and Eliza had to have emergency um, appendix surgery. And not only did that mess their vacation up, obviously, but they she's had some high fever and been working through a lot of things down there in Florida. And I think they were supposed to come home today, but she was not, or yesterday, but she was not allowed out of the hospital yet, so they've had to cancel their flights. And okay. Yeah. Uh, so it was an appendix, you say? Correct. For Kidron and Rachel's daughter? Okay. Yes. Yeah. I was talking to a family we're familiar with down in Hazard, Kentucky. Yes. And they were uh, affected, very heavily affected. They're in a community that is just totally devastated. And so all the things you've been reading in the news uh, is very real for lots of people's lives. So let's hold them up in prayer. I just heard a report yesterday, uh, someone had been down there and made a connection. They have no water, no electricity, no cell service, no food, and some communities they haven't even got to yet. Uh, I'm sorry? Uh, floods. I forget how many inches of rain they had. They said the floodplains are not even the ones that are, it's areas that are not even considered in the floodplain at all. It's just so massive amounts of water. We need to hold them up. There may be some extended things that will happen there as far as help. We'll have to see. Yes? Bart and Lisa and Tamara birth all week for revivals. Thank you. Bart and Lisa this week, revival meetings in Chambersburg. Good. Yes? Let's just bow in prayer. Vern. Continue to speak and call those to reach out to those who are lost, who um, never give up on them. 
they would see your power uh, and that they would just uh, be near to them and bless them. I pray that power would be restored to them, uh, water and food, uh, health and food, uh, suffering that you would help us to keep, be willing to open our hearts and our lives and, um, and our wallets to help those who are suffering through times like this because you have blessed us so much. I pray that you would just be with uh, Art and his family as they are being refurbished and you might fill them with your spirit and rebuke Satan and, and command him to let them alone so that your word can go forth in power and in strength. I pray that you would just be with us as we go throughout life, Father. Help us in many giants and many issues that we face to help us to claim your power in our lives and not to struggle in defeat. Um, but you, like David, and to realize that the, that the battle is already won. We just have to do our part and claim the victory. Father, I pray that you be with um, Welcome this morning. It's good to be here. As I read in Genesis, even before the fall, even before sin, there was a problem. If you read in chapter 1, God created everything and he said it was good. 
It was good, and he said it was very good there at the end. But then in chapter 2, he says something kind of surprising. He says something's not good. He says it is not good that man should be alone. And so he made him a friend. He made him a helpmeet, it says. He made him a friend, a companion. You know, from the very beginning, we have had this need for companionship. We've had this need for others in our life. It is not good that man should be alone, God said. And while I, spe- I believe that verse speaks to the institution and the gift of marriage and the importance of that, I, I believe that that friendship that is necessary goes beyond that. Because there are some here today who have not been married, some who have lost their spouses, and I believe that that, that relationship and that friendship can be fulfilled in life without that uh, marriage. So this morning, this message is a call out of isolation. It's a call out of negative friendships. It's a call to godly friendships. And it's a call to be a friend of God. To a friendship with God. I read this week an article from the Mayo Clinic. And I just pulled a couple statements out of it. It says, friendships can have a major impact on your health and well-being. But it's not always easy to develop or maintain friendships. Under Understanding the importance of social connection in your life and what you can do to develop and nurture lasting friendships is important. You know, that's not just what the Mayo Clinic says. That's what God said 6,000 years ago, you might say. You know, this is... um, It's not good to be alone. And they're not saying it from a biblical perspective. They're saying it from kind of an obvious um, medical or scientific perspective. It's not good to be alone. We need friends. Good friends are good for your health, they said. Friends can help you celebrate good times and provide support during bad times. Friends prevent isolation and loneliness. And I had to think about Ecclesiastes and a section of verses that I've used often in marriage ceremonies, but in verse chapter 4, verse 7, it begins, and he says, Then I returned, and I saw vanity under the sun. There is one alone, and there is not a second. Yea, he hath neither child nor brother, yet there is no end of all his labor. Neither is his eye satisfied with riches, neither saith saith he, for whom do I labor and bereave my soul of good? This is also vanity, it is sore travail. And I, I see that as a man who is working, um, working for himself, working maybe by himself, and, and he's got no companions there. And life's all about the things that he's getting done, and it says this is vanity. And you think about that, it, you know what? Um, to have no one to enjoy life with or to, to enjoy the, even the work of your hands with, Verse 9 says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, 
the one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, they have heat, but how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. And we know the truth that we are stronger together. And yet, sometimes we can tend to try to go at things alone. We can tend to isolate ourselves. We can tend to to just try to muster up the, enough strength on our own when oftentimes if we would just simply use the relationships, communicate with people around us, we would experience, I believe, strength from them. And I did want to say that, you know, anything that I say this morning, I don't intend to. I believe that God is our strength and our greatest friend, and He provides everything that we need. And I don't want to say anything that that would infer that friendship is more important than God or takes the place of it as as we talk of the importance of our friends. But together we can do a lot. According to the, the Mayo Clinic, friends can also increase our sense of belonging and purpose, boost happiness, reduce stress, Improve your self-confidence and self-worth. Help you cope with traumas such as serious illness, job loss, or the death of a loved one, or relational difficulties. Encourage you to change or avoid unhealthy lifestyle habits such as excessive drinking or lack of exercise. The list could go on there, I'm sure. Friends also play a significant role in promoting your overall health. Adults with strong social connections have a reduced risk of many significant health problems including depression and high blood pressure. Studies have found that older adults who have meaningful relationships and social support are likely to live longer than their peers with fewer connections. So this morning is a call out of isolation. You know, isolation got really bad about two years ago. But this message, this this call is not targeted at that. It may have may have made things worse, but this happened among us before COVID. It happens among us since COVID. And I realize that there are those of us with different personality types, and some of us just need to be around people a lot more than others of us. And I think we all realize that. But I still hear the words of God. It is not good that man should be alone. And as much as you may not enjoy, maybe you dislike crowds of people, or maybe you do enjoy being alone, it's still, it's never healthy to just be a hermit, to live alone. We need each other. We were created for relationship. We need friends. We need others to talk to, to cry on, to laugh with. We need encouragement. And we need someone to tell us when we're heading in the wrong direction. Friends can provide all of those things. Proverbs 18, verse 1 in the New King James reads like this. The King James was quite hard to understand. New King James says, A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. I hear that saying that 
a person that just keeps to themselves is, is being selfish and is going against wisdom, is going against wise judgment. It's not a wise thing. According to some statistics, I, I got to thinking about, as I was thinking about isolation, I was, I was like, what, what happens to people who are in solitary confinement? How does that affect them? And so I started reading a little bit, and I don't know anything about the Vera Institute, which is where these comments will be from. So, and I can't speak to the, the accuracy or, or bias of it, but I did read, and I don't know if it was from them, but, that people who are at some point in solitary confinement are five times more likely to commit suicide than the rest of the general prison population. And then there are just some physical effects of solitary confinement are chronic headaches, trembling, sweaty palms, dizziness, heart palpitations, trouble with eating and digestion, lack of appetite, drastic weight loss, difficulty sleeping, and some with insomnia. You know, those are just things that are obviously more um, uh, common in those inmates than the ones who are in the general prison population. Uh, the psychological effects, it's, you know, it's considered harmful to the mental health of inmates because it restricts meaningful social contact. Something that humans need in order to remain healthy and functioning. Longer stays in solitary confinement are associated with greater mental health symptoms that have serious emotional and behavioral consequences. The majority of those held in solitary confinement experience adverse emotional effects that can range from acute to chronic, depending on the individual and the length of the stay in isolation. Confined prisoners also report feelings of panic and rage, in, including irritability, hostility, and poor impulse control. Additionally, they frequently exhibit symptoms of anxiety that vary from low levels of stress to severe panic attacks. Isolated inmates also experience symptoms of depression, such as hopelessness, mood swings, and withdrawal. These depressive symptoms may even escalate to thoughts of self-harm and suicide. As compared to the general prison population, rates of suicide, self-harm, and self-harm, such as cutting and banging one's head against the wall, are particularly high in prisoners assigned to solitary confinement. The point of that is just simply to see the effects of being alone. And I realize that that's extreme and none of us are practicing solitary confinement in our life but the point I think is still there that as we separate ourselves from other people it, we become less healthy uh, both psychologically and physically and I would say more importantly spiritually Like Hebrews says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And do it even more as the end draws near, as you see the day approaching. A call out of isolation. A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against wise judgment. A call out of negative friendships. And that's where we'll go to the chapter that, that Brother Phil read. You can... Turn, if you're not still there, to 1 Kings chapter 12. And we're going to look at this King Rehoboam quickly. 
Rehoboam was Solomon's son. He had a very wise father. But his father had put that they called a heavy yoke on the people. He had made it difficult to serve him. And now that Rehoboam is becoming king, they have gone to him and they have asked him, will you make our yoke lighter? Will you, will you make things easier on us? We will serve you forever. Or we will serve you, they say. And in verse, verse 4, they say that. Verse 5, he said to them, Depart for three days, and then come again to me. And the people departed. And the king Rehoboam consulted with the old men that stood before Solomon his father while he yet lived. And he said, How do you advise that I may answer this people? And, and I see him doing a good thing here. He goes to the older men, to some wise men, and he asks them for advice, and they, they give him advice. And, and as I read this, I, I, I thought of King Agrippa, and he said, you almost persuade me to be a Christian. And I see Rehoboam here, and he's almost persuaded to do the right thing. And I thought about how sometimes in our lives, we're almost persuaded to do the right thing, or we're, we're just about ready to do something that we should do, and, and then maybe... We go and we hang out with some friends and the activities go the wrong way or we just start to make the wrong decisions. We get distracted. And we're just so close. I think about the seed in the parable of the sower that, that was there and it says it was snatched away. And it's kind of what's going on here with Rehoboam. It, it, the potential was there for him to be a good king, to do what is right, and the, old, the older men, they spake unto him, saying, If you will be a servant to this people today, and will serve them, and answer them, and speak good words to them, then they will be your servants forever. It's right there. But it says, He forsook the counsel of the old men that they had given him, and consulted with the young men that were grown up with him. He listened to his peers. He went and he hung out with his friends for a night and things started to sound pretty good coming from them. They might have had some big ideas of what they could do if, if they would keep this, I don't know what this all involved, whether it was certain work that they were doing, whether it was taxes, whether, what, what it was that was involved here with this heavy yoke. But the power... Kind of got to him. But it was the influence of his friends that caused him. And he listened to them. And the young men that were growing up with him spake to him. And said, tell them that your fingers, your little fingers thicker than your father's loins. And where my father laid you with a heavy yoke, I'm going to add to your yoke. And where my father chastised you with whips, I will chastise you with scorpions. And... You know the rest. The kingdom was split. Rehoboam kept the two tribes and the ten tribes went with Jeroboam. Um, and he lost the people. He lost the people's heart. He came and he answered the people roughly. He forsook the old man's counsel that they gave him. And he spake to them after the counsel of the young men. 
It matters who our friends are. And it matters a lot. You know, good friends can have great impacts on us. And in the same way, negative friends can have very big impacts on us as well in the other way. A quote by an unknown author says, show me who your friends are and I'll show you your future. And, you know, I, as I thought about that, it's like, show me your friends, show me their decisions, show me their families, let me see their hobbies, let me see their activities, let me hear, see their passions, their lifestyles, let me hear their conversations, and, and I can pretty well tell you where you're going to be. And I think about that in my own life. You think about in your life, the people that you've hung out with, that you've spent the most time with, and, and the impact that they have on your life. So often, we may say, especially when we're younger, that, well, I will be a good influence or a good example into some of my friends' lives that maybe aren't making the best choices. And it's a noble thought, and yet, as we think we won't be affected by them, sometimes... Oftentimes we're wrong, and the Proverbs speaks to that. You know, when we're young, we're raised with our, by our parents and our families, and the environment that we're raised in greatly determines our beginning in life and how we start out. But then as, we, as you begin to, begin to get a little older, and you maybe you begin to attend youth functions and youth retreats and the, the people that you choose to associate with, and you get your driver's license... And you go and you spend time on the weekends and the evenings and, and those, those relationships are, I realize sometimes, especially when you're younger, your friends are not always of your choosing. You kind of go where your parents go and, and, you, and you, you kind of spend time with the same people, um, not by choice. But as you get older, we, we do have opportunities to choose where we will go and who we will spend our time with. And I think of Solomon in Proverbs. He says these words in Proverbs 13. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise. But the companion of fools shall be destroyed. You want to be a wise man? You want to be a godly man? Walk with some godly men. It will have a, a large impact on your life. You hang out with fools. Solomon says you'll be destroyed, or there's potential there for that. Also in Proverbs 22, verses 24 and 25, it says, Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man thou shalt not go. Lest thou learn his ways. So there's potential, he says, to become like the people you hang out with. You hang out with an angry man. Lest thou learn his ways. But that's not the worst part. The worst part is what he says next. He says, and get a snare to your soul. So getting angry is one thing. But it says it's a snare to your soul. And that is the most important thing that we have is our soul. And so I wondered if we could interchange that word. 
make no friendship with an immoral man or with a disrespectful man or with a rebellious man or the list could go on lest thou learn his ways and it be a snare to your soul and so who are my friends why are we friends first corinthians 15 verse 33 says be not deceived evil communication corrupts good manners you know as i my first thoughts reading that is just that when we have bad conversations it it's corrupting and and i think that's true and i think that especially for some of you younger men that can that can happen easily in text messages and in conversations with guys that that the communication can go downhill and someone can say something off collar and then we pick up on it and we continue that conversation and it keeps going and it gets worse and worse and it's downward spiral and if we engage in those conversations it's going to corrupt us another version reads i actually looked up the strong's meaning of the word communication in that verse and the meaning there was companionship so Another way of reading that would be, do not be deceived, bad company ruins or corrupts good manners or morals, another version says. A call out of negative friendships. Who are my friends and what influence am I allowing into my life with the people that I am with? We also have to reverse the question and ask, what kind of a friend am I? What influence am I having on those that I am with? Am I being a godly man? Am I being a leader? Am I pointing my friends to, to Christ? Am I calling them higher? The next is a call to godly friendships. I'd like to look at a couple good examples of friendships in the Bible the first one will go to will be in Second Chronicles uh, 33, 34 here in a minute, but we're going to look quickly at Second Kings 18 because I'm thinking about King Josiah, and we talked in our Sunday school lesson this morning about David, and and he was a youth; he was not a very old young man. With everything that he accomplished, his faith was great. And King Josiah is going to be right along the same vein. But I wanted to back up and just look at the, the parents, the ancestry of King Josiah. So in 2 Kings 18, we see Josiah's great-grandpa. And his name was Hezekiah. And Hezekiah was a good king. He was 25 years old. And it says in verse 3 that he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David did. And he removed the high places and broke the images down and cut the groves and break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made because they were burning incense to it. They'd had that thing for hundreds of years and they were burning incense to it. He broke it up. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah nor any that were before him. For he clave to the Lord and departed not from following him but kept his commandments which the Lord commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him and prospered him wherever he went. That was Josiah's great grandpa. And he was a phenomenal king. 
And then we're going to look at Manasseh in, in Chronicles 33. And what you're going to see here is no matter how good your dad is or your grandpa, it doesn't make you good. No matter how well they followed God, no matter how sold out they were for God, every one of us gets to make that choice on who we will serve for ourselves. Your heritage does not change that you make a decision for yourself. Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign. This is not very old, similar to what David may have been as we discussed this morning. A young man. And he began to reign. He reigned for 55 years. But he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, like unto the abominations of the heathen. Just like everybody else whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. He built again the high places which Hezekiah's father had broken down. And he reared up altars for Balaam, made groves, and worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. I mean, this, this is a bad list. He built altars in the house of the Lord to these other gods. He built altars for the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. Verse 5 and verse 6, he caused his children to pass through the fire in the valley of the son of Hinnom. And he observed times and used enchantments and used witchcraft and dealt with familiar spirit and with wizards. He wrought much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. And he set a carved image, the idol which he had made in the house of God. And Manasseh made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to err and to do worse than the heathen whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. Wow. From Hezekiah, a king that it says there was not one like him, to this man, and the way that he led the people is a stark contrast. And I have to wonder again, kind of like Rehoboam, what Manasseh, who Manasseh must have grown up with, who he was listening to to get involved in all of these things, And then he had a son, Ammon, in verse 21, was 22 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned for two years and did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, as did Manasseh his father. And his own servants ended up killing him. And then we get to chapter 34, and we read about Josiah, and he was eight years old when he began to reign. And he reigned for 31 years. Again, just because your parents did not serve the Lord, just because your parents were involved in sin or in evil to a great degree as his grandpa was and his father, that doesn't define you. You are not who your parents are, for, for good or for bad. We get to choose. We will choose. One way or the other. And Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. See, he did that was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of David his father and declined neither to the right hand nor to the left. For in the eighth year, so he was 16 years old of his reign, while he was yet young, he began to seek after the God of David his father. And I just have to imagine that he must have surrounded himself with some good people. We know that a couple of his friends were Zephaniah and Jeremiah, and Jeremiah wrote about him. It says here later in Chronicles that he, he wrote a, a book about him after he died. Um, they must have been pretty close. But he surrounded himself with godly people. 
And in the twelfth year, he would have been 20 years old, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem from the high places and the groves and the carved images and the molten images. You know, I, did, I forgot one thing. The Manasseh, his grandpa, actually got captured by and taken to Babylon. And while he was there, he repented. He was humbled. And he repented. And he came back, and he kind of halfway cleaned stuff up. He got rid of some of the stuff, but he didn't get rid of all of the idols. And then his son Amon came on, and, and it was just a disaster again. But So now... There's just a lot of this stuff left over from Manasseh and Amon's reign. And he's breaking it down. He breaks down all of these things there through verse 4. and He broke down the, the carved images, molten images, altars of Balaam, and, his, and the images that were on high above them. He cut down the groves and the carved images, molten images. He burnt the bones of the priests on their altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. In the 18th year, he was 26 years old of the region when he had purged the land and the house. So this has taken some time here. Cleans everything up and he, he sent Shaphan to repair the house of the Lord as God. And so they finally repaired the house of God. But, you know, he was a, an extremely godly king and he started when he was 8 years old. And... Who you surround yourself, you think about him and his grandfather Manasseh and the, and the stark dif difference. Even though they were both young, um, the people that were around them, I believe, made a big difference in their life and in how they led the people. So who am I surrounding myself with? And what influence are they having on me? What decisions am I making? Because just like King Josiah, some of you are going to be put in positions that you don't feel ready for. Responsibilities that you don't feel qualified for. Situations that are bigger than your ability. Life happens fast. What will you do when you're not able to make the decisions that need to be made? That actually happens often in life where we don't feel capable. Who will we go to for wisdom, for advice? Do we just fly by the seat of our pants, some of us do? Um, do, we, do we talk to our peers? Do we talk to our parents, grandparents? You know, it's... It, I could go on. It's just interesting. I mean, just like Saul and David this morning in the Bible study lesson, you know, the young man came with, with the most faith there. And he was following God. And Saul didn't really have any wisdom for him. And so there's, there's all kinds of situations that make these things difficult in life. But, but we must be seeking godly men and godly women to... For direction, especially as we're younger in life, and and uh, they have so much to offer. Who you surround yourself really matters. I, I've got to keep going here. Proverbs twenty-seven, verse six: The wounds of a friend, faithful are the wounds of the friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. And I hear that saying that sometimes, as friends, we say things that may hurt. But it's not out of spite, it's out of love. 
And sometimes there are wounds that happen in friendships. But the kisses of, a, of the, the enemy are deceitful. You know, to have someone who's always saying, good job, good job, oh, everything's good. No, that's not, that can be flattery. There's a, there's, there's a lot of verses that deal with friendship and Proverbs that we could go to. But, but uh, as iron sharpeneth iron, the word says, and that's not a blunt knocking together. That is a, that's a gentle sharpening that there are wounds involved there. Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of a friend. If, if your friendship, the transparency and counsel is always sweet, it's always exactly what you want to hear, or the other way, where it's always challenging and clashing, something is off. There should be a back and forth. A picture of perhaps gentle resistance. And yes, sometimes it hurts. But I would just challenge you this morning, young people, to be a Josiah. To surround yourself with godly men and women. Both of your peers, but also of older folks who will point you to Christ. Another example that I thought we may go to, and I'm just going to read just two of the verses. I thought we were going to be studying it in Bible study was the friendship of Jonathan and David. And it says in 1 Samuel 18, it came to pass that when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And those are intimate friendships that happen in life, but they don't happen real often. You're going to have one or two really good friends in life, but you're not going to have... A dozen. You're not going to have these, these Facebook friends don't even come close. But this, is, this speaks of an intimate friendship that I believe God is God's design. To have that, that brotherhood, that intimate friendship that they had. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And he stripped himself of his robe that was on him and gave it to David and his garments, even to his sword. Uh, and then in verse 2 of 19 it says, Jonathan's son Saul... I'm sorry. Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And in verse 20, 17, Jonathan then caused David to swear again because he loved him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. This is a, these are relationships that can be very valuable in life. And we need to have someone that we can go to, that we can share with, that we can confide in, that we can have that relationship with to be willing to go all the way for each other Jonathan risked a lot for David and you know there's only so much you can do because Jonathan ended up dying there was nothing that David could do to protect him on that battlefield and sometimes it gets to that point in life but but oftentimes as friends we can bear each other's load you young people I just want you to I want you to have fun. You're at a time in life where there's, it's a great time to be lighthearted, to explore, to just uh, have a good time in life. But let your friendships run deep. Don't settle 
for surface friendships. Proverbs 19.4 says, Wealth maketh many friends, but the poor man is deserted by his friend. You know, we can have friends because of our car, or because of our money, or because of our popularity. But it says that if those things leave, your friends may leave too. Those are common in this world. Friends of the rich and famous, everyone wants to to be a friend of them until they're broke or no longer popular. And then they're gone. So don't measure your level of friends by the number you have on social media. Measure your friends by the depth and character and passion that they have. Your friends are your friends because of a common interest. Ask yourself what that common interest is. C.S. Lewis says, Friends don't always have to agree on the answer, but they must agree that the question is important. We don't, being friends doesn't mean you think exactly the same, that you agree on everything, but you must agree that the question is important. You must have a, a common interest that matters. This morning, is a call out of isolation, a call out of negative friendships, a call to godly friendships, and finally, a call to friendship with God. James says, Abraham believed God and it was imputed to him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. Abraham was a friend of God because he believed God. Do you believe God? Can it be said of you that you are a friend of God? John 15, Jesus tells his disciples, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. You are my friends, if you do whatever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known to you. Ultimately, Jesus became the friend that will never let you down. Proverbs 18.24, a man that hath friends must show himself friendly, and there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Proverbs 17.17, a friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Jesus says, I am that friend. I am the ultimate friend that loves at all times. I am the friend born for adversity. I am the friend that sticketh closer than a brother. That no matter how difficult your life gets, no matter how many friends may leave you, I will never let you down. I am the friend whose wounds are the wounds of love. Remember that verse that says, uh, blessed are the wounds of a friend, or I forget exactly how it said it, but uh, Jesus He doesn't give wounds. He took the wounds. He is the one who, he says, I'm going to take the wounds for you instead of inflicting them. How blessed it is when those wounds are not inflicted but received. On the cross, Jesus is the ultimate friend. 
He's a friend that sticks closer to the brother. And when I know that, it frees me to be the friend I ought to be. Will you find a friend in Jesus this morning? Kneel with me in prayer.